welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Changes in Spain, Rivera del Duero approves white wine in the DO. And in Rioja, first single vineyard wines are released. News from Champagne. Bollinger announces James Bond-themed wines. LVMH Drinks Arm records quarterly profits. And Paul Roger opens wine from the 1890s. Festive-themed crisps released in the UK. And as ever, our wine of the week. First up, our week in wine. And Katie, you had quite a hectic week, hosting a group of British and Irish buyers to Napa, all in the middle of a power cut. Tell us more. Yes, it was interesting, to say the least. Uh, We were stationed in the Carneros Resort and Spa in the beautiful Carneros AVA. And the idea was a new format. So this was hosted by California Wine Institute. And rather than touring the importers around California, the idea was to keep them in one spot so that all wineries from around the state could come and pour their wines for the buyers in the hopes of gaining some new export placements. So um, it was really interesting how much positive response we had when inviting California wineries to participate, members of California Wine Institute and beyond. Uh, So it seems that despite Brexit and all the rumblings going on over there in the UK, there's still a lot of interest in selling wine to that market. And what kind of buyers were visiting from the UK and Ireland? Who were they? Well, there were those from larger importers, such as Alliance, and some small sort of direct-to-consumer entities as well. So it was kind of a big range. And many of them already had California wineries as a part of their portfolio, uh, but they were looking to expand the range. And so during this week, um, Napa and surrounding counties had a power outage, uh, enforced by PG&E, the sole provider of electricity and gas here in Cal- Northern California. And so they cut the power on Wednesday and Thursday uh, in fear of spreading wildfire, as happened two years ago. And they've been widely blamed for those fires. So now they're ultra, ultra cautious. And so they uh, cut everything off for quite an extended period of time. And that didn't affect me because I'm right as here in Petaluma, which wasn't affected. But you were affected in Carneros, even though you were hosting all these buyers. Yes, and the Carneros Resort and Spa assured us that they would not be affected, but in the end, they were. And I hat off to the staff there. They were very good about trying to accommodate us and get us all the amenities within their power no pun intended. Um, But we did have to scramble a little bit in working out dinners and whatnot. And so in the end, we ended up feeding them KFC one evening, which was really not expected, but requested by one of the members of the group. Yeah, you said people seem to enjoy it as if you can't get KFC in the UK. Although, interestingly, you cannot get it in Ireland. Well, maybe that's it. And we had some margaritas to start, so maybe that made the KFC particularly palatable. Yeah, so though some inconveniences caused by this power outage, you can understand why PG&E did it, and life goes on. Yes, so I do think that some producers did have to have a bit of a scramble as well with their uh, wines fermenting in stainless steel, all all temperature controlled. Uh, And so I knew uh, the few producers that I did speak with over the course of the week did end up bringing in generators, which are not cheap, but something they can use in the future as this may be the new normal, as they say. And now on with the news. 
Spain's DO regulations often cause frustration among winemakers due to the limitations they can place on experimentation and adaptation. But this week showed evidence that the Spanish rulemakers are willing to embrace change. Ribera del Duero, one of the country's highest quality regions, is known for its tannic, age-worthy red wines made mostly from Tempranillo. In fact, until now, only red wine and rosé could be made in Ribera del Duero, even though a local white grape, Albio, is also grown there and it accounts for 5% of plantings in the DO, but previously any white wine made there had to be sold under the Castilla y Leon IGP. This week though the rules were changed to allow white wine to be sold as part of the DO, labelled La Ribera Blanca. The wines must be at least 75% albio, with another dozen varieties also allowed. Meanwhile, in Rioja, this week saw the first release of the region's first official single vineyard wine. Although producers already made single vineyard wines, there was no official classification. But beginning with the 2017 vintage, a new term was brought in, viñedo singular. To qualify for this new certification, the vineyard must have individual characteristics, have 35-plus-year-old vines, be sustainably farmed, and the grapes have to be hand-harvested. The first Viñedo Singular wine has been released by producer Viñedo de Alfaro. The wine is called Cantarabui. We did some research on this name and we haven't found anything. So if you listeners know any info about the background of why it's called this, please share. I like to think there's some pilgrimage reference. Surely. Anyway, it's 100% Garnacha coming from a small 3.5 hectare vineyard planted in 1975. A handful of other producers are also including a Viñedo Singular into the lineup, including Las Tapias, a wine by Marques de Riscal in El Ciego. So, as this new designation is designed to promote the diverse terroir of the region, it will be interesting to see how many producers follow suit and label their wines as Viñedo Singular. It will indeed. Um, earlier this year, I met a winemaker, uh, Carlos Lopez de la Calle from Artadi, who have been going since the 80s. And he was complaining uh, quite vehemently how the region's regulations don't encourage expressions of terroir. Instead, they, they lump all the wine together as just Rioja, as one entity, instead of, instead of having a crew system like they do in Burgundy that promotes the variations of the region. So I assume he'll welcome developments such as the Vigneto Singular, which really encourage producers to express the single sites rather than just blending the whole region together. Yes, well, all of the... Uh, designations and qualifications that Rio has known for has to do with aging, right? So it's all about the blend and the aging potential of these wines, not necessarily about where they're from. Yep, and that's something he was not happy with at all. And that was a criticism he had generally of Spain. You have these DOs and that's it. There's nothing within them to distinguish between different styles, different levels of quality, different places. So maybe Spain is finally moving in that direction. And in Ribera del Duero, uh, I personally think that white wine is long overdue, so I'm looking forward to seeing that in the market. Yeah, we've had a couple of uh, white Castilla y Leon wines from Albio by Ribera del Duero um, producers, and I always found it a bit ridiculous that they weren't allowed to call it Ribera del Duero or connected to that, so I think it will really elevate the white wines of the region. And we'll see if they come with a higher price point. News from Champagne. Moet Hennessy this week recorded growth of up to 10% for the third quarter of 2019, with revenue of 3.9 billion euros. 
Those sales don't, of course, include just champagne, as Moet Hennessy, which is part of the global luxury empire LVMH, owns drink businesses across the world. Champagne sales actually fell slightly, but Prestige Cuvée Champagne and VS Cognac saw strong growth, a sign that luxury brands continue to be successful despite global trade uncertainty. And Boulanger announced the launch of two James Bond-themed champagnes, continuing its long association with the fictional character. The first time that a bottle of Boulanger physically appeared in a Bond movie was in 1979, in Moonraker. To celebrate the 40th anniversary, Boulanger are releasing one wine inspired by the film and another by No Time to Die, which comes out next year. The Moonraker wine has a shuttle-shaped box which opens up to reveal a crystal ice bucket and a 2007 magnum. The No Time to Die wine is 100% Pinot Noir from the I Village and the 2011 vintage. That wine we can almost afford as it costs a mere 150 pounds. In contrast, the luxury Moonraker release is 4,500 pounds. That will be for next year, Matthew, on our anniversary. Six years? Maybe. That's just one bottle, but it is a magnum, and the box looks really, really, really fancy. And then finally, also in Champagne, this week Paul Roger opened up two bottles from the 1890s, a tasting we wish we'd been at. They'd been preserved because a part of the cellar had collapsed in 1900 due to excessive rain, a problem the cellar still faces today. Recent excavations unearthed over 100 bottles, which had survived the initial collapse intact. One of the wines that they tasted had not been disgorged, so they figured it was probably from the late 1890s. None of these bottles were actually dated, while the other had been disgorged and is probably a bit older. By the accounts of those at the opening of the bottles, the wines were remarkably fresh, proof of how long champagne can age. Well, so this all kind of ties in with what uh, Jim Clerken was talking about uh, two weeks ago at the Wine Industry Financial Symposium in Napa. Uh, so Jim Clerken is the president and CEO of Moet Hennessy North America. He commented during his keynote that it, it's a good future for wine, despite the challenges. And one of the top opportunities he mentioned was premiumization is still alive and well, with value outperforming volume which is evident in this increase in sales, uh, for particularly for Prestige Cuvée and VS Cognac. So champagne is always associated with luxury. We see that with Bollinger and the James Bond wines. Paul Roger used to be drunk by Winston Churchill. And um, just seeing them opening these bottles from the 1890s just kind of um, accentuates how luxurious and how rare champagne is, and it just adds to the kind of uh, reputation of the wine building into the future premiumization. So in researching topics for this week's podcast, I was, as usual, enjoying some bubbles and couldn't understand why I didn't have any chips or crisps, as they say in the UK, to pair them with. Uh, Champagne and crisps are one of my favorites. And coincidentally, one of the topics I found was about taking that pairing even further. Kettle chips have combined with an English winery, Winbury Vineyard, to create seasonal crisps flavored with truffled cheese and English sparkling wine. Even better, the winery is in Norfolk, where kettle chips source a lot of their potatoes from. So there's definitely a regional theme to this project. So what do you think about this? Truffled cheese and English sparkling wine flavored crisps? Well, jury's still out. I will. I would have to try them. Um, I 
do like truffles. I do like cheese, but I'm not sure about combining them with the crisps because for me, just a standard salted crisp is the ideal pairing for sparkling wine. Yeah, both truffles and cheese have quite strong flavours, but it's really interesting to taste them, see if those flavours are integrated with the English sparkling wine as well. And with locally sourced potatoes, they're keeping with the theme of terroir. And now for our wine of the week, which Katie is... The Amistoy Sparkling Rosé, and I probably butchered that pronunciation as well, because it's Basque and not Spanish, but Matthew usually leaves me to do that, but continues on our sparkling wine theme, and it's a very unusual bottle of bubbles. It's from the Basque Country in northern Spain, a region most famous for Chacoli, light-bodied, high-acid, extremely refreshing white wines, which have a touch of spritz, and the Amistoy Winery who we've always been big fans of, have taken that combination of acidity and spritz a step further and produced this fully sparkling rosé, which we tried for the first time this week. Yeah, we enjoyed it a lot. It's made from the local black grape uh, variety, Underiba Belcher, and it has light strawberry and raspberry aromas, as well as lots and lots of acidity. It's light and delicious and very, very drinkable. Very drinkable. Yes, we wanted more. I would uh, drink this on tap. It's very delicious. And the winery, we looked it up, and the winery's website tells us that, and we quote, This type of wine has been elaborated in order to offer flavour, which is pleasant for most people. I guess we can't disagree with that statement, but I do believe that some European websites could really work on their translations. And it just costs $30, so I'd say it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, for a sparkling wine, made the traditional method. This is a very fashionable region. It's a region that restaurateurs and wine geeks like us really like. Um, because of that really high acidity, it makes it a really good food wine. And so we've enjoyed the white chocolate quite a bit. They also make a really good rosé. They even make a red, which um, has a little bit of spritz. So very unusual wines. And then here we have the sparkling. And with all that acidity, what would you pair this with, Katie? Well, it could go with a bag of crisps, as I was craving earlier today. But I think I would stay away from the truffle cheese and just stick with my regular salted. No prawn cocktail crisps. Prawn cocktail? What's that? Very popular flavour of crisps in the UK. Not something that I um, veer towards, but a lot of people eat them. I suppose that's why we stayed in California for so long. Cheers to that! So thank you for listening. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another Wind Up. Cheerio! Cheerio!